0: Whatever happened to peace and love? This is our Everest.
1: Greetings, culture vultures, and welcome back to This is Our Everest. The Analog TV podcast that last time we recorded it, we did. I was just looking this up. The Golden Shot. That's how long ago the last one of these was.
2: 1974. Well, <laughs> recorded on reel to reel tapes.
1: This week, the program we've watched is the Granada TV music magazine show, So It
2: Goes. Yeah. Another Granada Another- TV. This this is Muriel Young, isn't it? Who was well,
1: it, yeah. It's another. It's another Granada TV music show. It's another ITV music magazine show. They were seemingly unendless.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the same woman who was responsible for "Lift Off" with a show yeah, and um Lang. a Lang. Let us not forget. I mean this is the same fucking year as Shangolang.
1: Yeah, well, it's, this is the intellectual successor to Shangolang, I guess. So it goes was uh, as we say, Granada TV. This this episode is the final episode of the nine show first series and was broadcast on the twenty eighth of August nineteen seventy six. And was presented as all good Granada television programmes should be by Anthony H. Wilson.
2: Yes. The
1: late. The late and it's I may venture, great, Tony Wilson. Yeah. The man who whose life was essayed by Steve Coogan
2: in the film Twenty Four Hour Party People. Yeah. I mean when I was about nineteen or twenty and yes. at university in the northwest of England. Okay. It was quite a surprise to see the guy who I knew to be the owner of the Hacienda. Yeah. Which well. at this point was just past its summit. Well, it was still the UK's probably most famous. Nightclub at that time, unless you unless you know, if you exclude like string Stringfellows, yeah. I am
1: not sure exactly when it was that Remote Control was on, but do you remember the irreverent Channel Four game show Remote Control?
2: No, I don't.
1: He it, it featured um, Carolina Hearn, she yeah. may have been Caroline Hook by then, and Phil Cornwall and Frank Sidebottom, and that was presented by Anthony Wilson.
2: Yeah, but I mean, I was surprised. To see him suddenly turn up reading the local news. There was almost nothing that he didn't do at some point. I mean, he fucking packed a lot in. i you know, credit where it's due. He certainly did.
1: He he knew... He, I mean, this was the thing. When he died prematurely, he. I mean, he probably knew everything that was going to happen in the next 30 years anyway. He would have seen it. Yeah. Because that's what he was like. A seer and a catalyst. Yeah. And what he's catalyzed in this particular case was a show which featured three unsigned music acts, the third of which turned out to be a rather significant performance Yeah, as it was the first appearance by the Sex Pistols on British television.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is worth pointing out that Wilson himself ain't no punk at this point. You know, he's dressed oh, like no, he's dressed absolutely. like fucking John Denver. He looks like he's got a Yorkshire Terrier parked atop his head. Oh yeah, double um, denim so he's got yeah, you know.
1: denim shirt down to the
2: waist, yeah. denim flares. I mean he sounds like an overenthusiastic primary school teacher. Well yeah, it so yeah. sounds and looks.
1: According to one of the members of the Sex Pistols Entourage later, he met them in clogs. Okay. So that's where that's where he was at. He was still in the
2: clog age. Yeah. Was there a clog age? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> don't in the 70s. I don't remember one.
1: That's I think the overriding thing that you get from this is there is a massive clash of cultures inbound. Yeah. And I think this program makes it quite clear that you would better either get on board one way or the other or just get all of your shit out of the way.
2: Well, I mean, let's be straight up about this. The Sex Pistols are the third of these unsigned acts to appear on this programme. Yes. And the first two are dog shit upon dog shit <laughs> upon dog shit. I have no idea where they pulled those fucking chances out from for Jesus fucking Christ, I can see why they were unsigned.
1: Well let's let's look at the other two acts, shall we? The first one was called Gentleman. Yeah. And gentlemen were that rare bird in nineteen seventy six. A sort of new wave prog band
2: <laughs> it's it's it was awful,
1: yes sub yes, nerdling
2: it's something in these you know i was I was thinking about this a bit when we was watching it, and it must be something in these kind of upper middle class types oh, that yeah, thinks yeah. they can educate the proles by adding some fucking ridiculous meter to the song. Oh yeah, absolutely. Making it I mean from what I could make out, I thought it sounded to me like it was about fucking Dungeons and Dragons or something, but you know, I don't know.
1: Well they all do, don't they? They all sound, they all sound like the,
2: they are, yeah. The song they did was
1: called My Ego's Killing Me. Oh, right, OK. Doesn't really make an awful lot of difference. He seems to spend a lot of time talking about a jaguar for some reason. I wasn't really listening. No, it
2: was horrible. It was
1: horrible. It was it was like you were watching someone's geography teacher having their day of days. But the fact is, on Monday morning, he's going to be back in the classroom and everyone's going to go, all right, sir, I saw you on the telly. <laughs>
2: Wasn't this sort of thing done by 76?
1: Well, this this is the exact sort of thing that I think the Sex Pistols were out to seek and destroy. Now
2: you see, I, I dispute that. I think that there's a little revisionism going on there. It is true that John Lydon had an I hate Pink Floyd t-shirt didn't, isn't it? But um, He's, He certainly did. But I think that actually punk was more if it was about cleansing out anything it was more about cleansing out the blandness that had seeped into the pop charts. <laughs> and particularly that that kind of shitty, stilted form of British light entertainment that we've been watching for the last fucking eight months or whatever.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think there is that. I mean, obviously, there is a a portentousness to prog rock that punk was very instrumental in sort of breaking down because you suddenly realised you didn't need a velvet suit and a double guitar to play rock and
2: roll. I think so, but I think that they were kind of collateral damage in a broader cultural war, do you know what I mean? And they were easy targets as well, these kind of wispy, beardy types from places like Canterbury. You know? Yeah,
1: I'm not sure where gentlemen were from. I can't find anything about them online, which is a, a sign that maybe the universe
2: has prevailed. I I'm interested in what your search history will look like. <laughs> just Google search gentleman. Yeah. Repeatedly well, all he... day. He's on page seven hundred and fifty-three of this word. I bet it kept flashing up at Google headquarters. Yeah, I am nothing if not determined. <laughs> yeah, it just said gentleman, then a picture of your face appeared underneath it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, they're they're a grotty bunch of I mean, they're not even a grotty bunch of Herberts. They're horrible. The Sex Pistols are a grotty bunch of Dickensian Herberts. This lot are just a grotty bunch of pretentious middle-class people who ought to be at home with their wives, having an Abigail's Party-style dinner party. But actually, they're on the telly, dressed in double leather or red dungarees, prattin' about to some geography teacher's vision of... I don't
2: know what yeah. he thought. and it, was. it goes on, and it go. I mean, it really does go on. You know? It really does go on.
1: But then again, I think the other song. I was watching the other song again, and that one also goes on, but in a very different style. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, the Bowles Brothers band, were eventually were signed. Were they? And they re- They released one record oh. <laughs> called Ro- Roger buys a fridge. What on Decca in 1978? Have you heard it? Yeah, uh, I have not. But one of the songs that they well that is on that record is the song that they sang in this program which is called Charlie's Nuts you the of um you you've got a woman who looks like a Sunday school teacher in a floral dress and then two acoustic guitarists one of them's in a breton shirt and the other one's in a short sleeve shirt with gray slacks held up with braces and they've got Peter Sutcliffe on Upright bass. Yeah. Dressed as a beatnik. But the real, this is the real kicker. When I found out that they'd been signed, I thought, oh, we might be able to find out a little bit more about these people. And actually, I knew more about one of the people than I even knew. And once you hear this fact, you will not be able to believe that you missed this. Uh-huh. The lead female singer... Yeah, yeah. In her floral dress, yeah. shooping and shuffling around yeah. with a massive mot of frizzy hair. Okay. Was also an actress. Okay. And she had one particularly famous role, and I guarantee you've seen her in it. Okay. She played Judith Iscariot in Monty Python's Life of Brian. She was Judith. Oh, okay. She also went on to be the Mayor of Aberystwyth. For a, uh, a year, did she know? But you're not going to remember her for that. Oh, right. I mean, in real life, I've because...
2: you in, in a in a TV show. I don't remember a TV series about the mayor of Aberystwyth. Although, you know, I'm now thinking of how that would play out.
1: Oh, I don't know how many people voted for her as mayor of Aberystwyth simply because they'd seen her, Fanny, yeah, in Life of Brian.
2: Yeah, that. Although,
1: actually, people in Aberystwyth wouldn't necessarily have seen her fanny in *Life of Brian* because one of the ordinances, city-wide ordinances that she was able to overturn as Mayor of Aberystwyth, was a more than thirty-year yeah. ban on the film *The Life of Brian* oh, right. being, being shown in Aberystwyth. Oh, okay. So I'm sure everyone piled in and went, "I can see your I tits, can see Lady the Mayor."
2: mayor. The mayor in the neck.
1: <laughs> how about that but there you go so they I think they were a little bit more establishment obviously they had friends in high places both of the guitar players yeah later did work with Viv Stanshall and Neil Innes and
2: people like that okay alright so that was them but they were but but yeah but let's just fucking because this is this is starting to sound a bit too much like you're gonna say actually having heard it three times I quite like it now And I'm here to tell the good listenership of this (laughs) stupid, pointless podcast that this fucking bunch of do-what pricks deserve the fucking gulag to the salt mines with them. Zero tolerance. It it was like do-what bebop. It was horrible.
1: It's the sort of thing you could imagine being played in a 1950s Greenwich Village coffee bar. As a sort of nod to the pre-war years, a gesture to the past. I'm
2: not... That was the style of it. I'm not that keen on any music <laughs> that doesn't contain some form of electricity.
1: Well, the electricity was there because Peter Sutcliffe was there in playing. Oh, well, I suppose around.
2: Peter Sutcliffe on the bass. But, I mean, there was too much acoustic guitar and too much face-pulling and too much... Oh, They were just, just, just... They were, Yeah, they did look very pleased with themselves. Just fuck them to hell. <laughs> Acid rock lips.
0: As those horns begin to wail, the
1: fender Go straight up for sale and guess Who's blowing
0: up the gale? That's right, it's Mr. Sobino, sobino, whoo! Hey.
2: they were the sort of thing that the Sex Pistols were here to clear out. Yeah. And the thing is that they weren't the only proponents of this sort of thing. You had those fucking weirdos of those those great big pianos, didn't you? They had a number one. Was that Sailor? Well, there's
1: a number of... I mean, uh, uh, just... Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of Lieutenant Pigeon now. They're, that's the sort of band who the Sex Pistols blew yeah, up. Yep,
2: Lieutenant Pigeon.
1: No more novelty records. Yeah, please.
2: 1976, of course, was almost a year. also the year of Bugsy Malone. So I think that there was this kind of threat that <laughs> they were just going to go on an eternal loop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It yeah, go, it's always a It alright, oh, okay, you get your 20s nostalgia and then you get your rock and roll nostalgia and then it will be back to 20s nostalgia. And I think that there was a cycle there that needed to be bust apart early.
1: Before we get on to talking about the main event, there are a number of other threads that need to be uh, tied up for this programme. We've spoken a bit about Tony Wilson. The... Presentation of the programme takes place with him perched atop a stool in front of a bank of TV monitors Mm. that will show, you know, words or pictures. It's very much on brand for Tony Wilson, isn't it? The free play of signs and signifiers. Yeah. Semiotics. You can't have a TV programme unless it's making some sort of situationist... Point. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, this is all going to have flown clean over the heads of ninety-five percent of the audience. Uh, yeah, that is possibly true. You know, it's, it's they will true. have picked up that he can he, he can say weird things at times, which he'll just drop into the middle of a completely kind of vanilla, bland sort of yeah. segue that he's and just in the middle of it, he'll just drop something in. I I suspect that he is presuming too much intelligence on the part of his audience
1: or or I mean this is the alternative theory or he didn't care and he actually you know viewed it as being part of their education.
2: Oh yeah yeah there is also there is also that.
0: Another loose thread is Clive James. Continuous brain damage has been caused throughout the first series of So It Goes by the rock press, which for the previous nine weeks has been untiring in its efforts to find a new way of slagging the greatest rock show in the history of television or the greatest television show in the history of rock, depending on how you look at it. One critic, Charles Shah Flood Farron of New Sound's Express Maker, refused to look at it at all. I could tell what it was like before I switched the set on, wrote Flood (laughs) Farron. Ten other people and two dogs who did not watch the program agreed with him that it was hopeless. Their comments were listed under the heading of So It Goes, What You Thought. Another critic, Shah Charles Farron Flood of Sound's New Musical, wrote, Tony Wilson talks that fast, nobody can't understand him. (laughs) It took Farron Flood two hours to type that sentence, since each time he found the right key, he forgot how to press it down. (laughs) Meanwhile, Farron Charles Flood Shah of Soundsmaker Express claimed that So It Goes was the kind of show the rock world had been waiting for, but it was crippled by the fact that Tony Wilson lacked the eloquence of Bob Harris, the seriousness of Tony Blackburn, the dignity of Jimmy Savile, and the brilliance of himself, Farron Charles Flood Shah. (laughs) <laughs> Mr. Floodshaw has made it known to us privately that he is sick of being paid his salary in the form of free sandwiches at press previews, and would like to be on television. All the critics mentioned were united in the belief that So It Goes was too fast, too smart, and too varied to be sincere, since sincerity has to be slow, dull, and monotonous, hasn't it? Now we've spoken
1: about Clive James before on this podcast. We're both noted fans of Clive James. Yeah, the Sex Pistols were not a no- noted fans of. Clive James. Mm-hmm. This is from John Savage's book, England's Dreaming, which is the greatest book on the subject that's ever been written. This is a quote from Jordan, who was in the audience that day, wearing a Nazi armband. Nice. Um, all the kids were drinking Coke. You've got Clive James, who is a terrible Australian straighty, being huffy and shocked. So we just waded in. I called him a baldy old sheila. John just called in Bruce for an hour. Now, one, pretty sure Clive James was able to withstand that. Yeah. Two, Clive James later wrote in The Observer that he had had an encounter with a foul-mouthed ball of acne calling himself something like Kenny Frightful <laughs> regarding John Lydon. So, I, you know, that's probably 1-0 to Clive James. Yeah. Clive James's role on this was Basically to reprise his TV critic Mm. mode. Yeah. Uh, And this particular case, he was ritually eviscerating... The New Musical Express Charles Shaw Murray. Yeah. Who had begun his review of So It Goes by admitting that he hadn't watched it.
2: The mid-1970s were a kind of curious time in the music press, which took a long time to catch up in this country. It wasn't really until you got to maybe a bit later this year or the start of the following year and at the, at the NME that they finally really completed the task of Turfing Out the Dinosaurs, you know. If you, I, I used to have a book about the history of pop music, and for every year it had a handful of contemporary reviews of albums that had come out. So, I, I mean, I had this book when I was quite young. I reckon I was probably about 13 or 14, and so I was reading the music press by this time. By about that time, I think I was reading Smash hits And... Um, you I, you turn the page to like 1967 or whatever uh, to see, well, you know, let's start with like Sergeant Peppers, see what they've got to say about, let's hear what a contemporary journalist has got to say about Sergeant yeah. Peppers' Lonely Hearts Club. And it's all like, oh, it's got a very good beat. It's, this is a mid, <laughs> it's, a, it's a mid-tempo. <laughs> and, and until into the 1970s, that's how 99% of music journalists wrote. They were all yeah. these kind of old jazz hacks who thought that any anything that you couldn't watch while smoking on a pipe and nodding your head very slowly was a bit too modern for their taste. In, in 1976, this kind of new pretentiousness is sweeping into it and at the end of the day, these guys all want to write for Rolling Stone, you know, they want to be Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah,
1: um, I think what happened was that it, they, when this new breed came in, they overcompensated for how out of touch and white bread it had been. Yeah, with just unrelenting pretentiousness.
2: Yeah, I get it. I suppose why somebody would would do that for the shits and giggles if you're, you know, if you're that amused by it, that entertained by it. But at the same time, on a different level it it seems like it sounds like a dumb thing to admit to
1: you don't but the thing is if you're going to mess with anybody don't mess with a program that Clive James is on
2: yeah and
1: because whether whether you're right or whether you're wrong Clive James is going to find a way of making you look like an imbecile yeah because that, that was his special gift yeah, I mean Charles Darwin might have thought words are his weapons and so forth. Yeah, but he's I mean got, I'm, he's got nothing on Cl- I mean, clive I mean I think James.
2: it's just as likely that he thought, well, what's my job to do here? My job is to entertain the readers of the NME. What
1: do you what do you make of brain damage? For that is the name of Clive James's segment. This was a regular part of the program, I believe he was on every show. Yeah. Well, again, it's... A bit incongruous or, I mean, a bit highfalutin. Is it going to go over the heads of the audience? Who is this programme actually for? Well, this is, is
2: this is youth TV. I don't know whether it's the very first example of it, but this is youth TV. This mutates into the Oxford Roadshow and something else. That, in turn, mutates into the Tube, And the tube, in turn, ends up turning into the word. So that's where you're headed. That's the the course that you're on. But, you know, I I take it as read that Tony Wilson considered it part of his brief. I have no idea if this is true or not. I assume it is. He considered it part of his brief that this was not just a music programme. This was also going to have other cultural things that took his fancy as and when they came up.
1: Yeah, I think so. Another one of those is uh, our last thread that needs tying up yeah. before we get onto the main act,
0: Yeah, Peter Cook. We continue with more energy, an energetic album released by Island Records. They're putting out an album next week which is dirty, controversial, vulgar and lousy and horrible and all the rest of those things. It's called Derek and Clive. It's by Dudley Moore and Peter Cook. Peter Cook, let me ask you a few Michael Parkinson type questions. I was looking in my uh, research earlier on before the program and I found out you are Peter Cook. Yeah, well, I am it tonight. I am my alter ego. Oh, yeah. Uh, I am possessed by the spirit of Clive. Clive who? Uh, Clive. He hasn't got a second name because, you know, he's just known. You see him and you know it's Clive. I'm just sorry Derek couldn't be here tonight, you know, but... Uh, Derek being Dudley Moore, the yeah, when, when, the other half of your comedy duo that I was reading about in research Yeah, the uh, the midget poof is in... He's uh, <laughs> in, uh, where is it? Uh, oh, somewhere, uh, Switzerland, having a facelift of some kind. So he couldn't make it, but he sends his love, you know.
1: Now, Peter Cook, obviously, is, was one of the stops in that journey that you were just describing, because he started a ITV... Well, I mean, he didn't start it. He fronted it. Yeah. He he fronted an ITV music magazine show of his own called Revolver, which presumably started either this year or the year Um... after, 1977. That was very much based on... Funnily enough,
2: I've watched a couple of episodes of Revolver lately. Yeah. And it's properly weird. 1978, Revolver. A couple yeah well, years, it's
1: weird it's, it's weird and it is very much a card carrying program for new wave that was the thing punk and new wave that was its stock in
2: trade. yeah i mean we so, need to we need to do an episode of it in full really but yeah what i would say about it very briefly is that the most striking thing about it is that it's belligerent. Peter Cook yep. Peter Cook doing the links between the programs the conceit of it is that he's in the ticket office isn't he? He's on the, taking the money on the door yeah. at this place that does music.
1: And he's dismissive and offhand yeah. and has no respect for the clientele
2: or the acts. Yeah but actually when they show it he's kind of in the gods a little bit. They've yeah. built him like a thing up So, and I suspect that they've done this deliberately because he is phoning at him it's quite okay. quite clear that he's phoning it in he's phoning it in, in in a in a very slurred voice, and the audience which by this time you know in, it's it's an aTV show so it's made in Birmingham well the audience are having none of that so they're giving him as much and you could barely hear half the stuff he says <laughs> but just as uh this is a Absolute encapsulation of an ATV show. This is—it's got revolver has got a hint of Tiswas about it. It's got that yeah. feeling that actually at any moment this could completely spiral out of control and somebody could be killed.
1: Yeah, there's there's much more of an anarchic feel to it than
2: this. It's 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 unsettling and it's got that feel to it. And there's like I say, it's got Tiswas DNA in it. Now the thing about so it goes is that that is a it is ultimately a quintessential mid to late 70s granada TV pop music program aimed at young people because it's got this kind of commitment to new music um this is the final episode of the series isn't it and they're and they're showcasing yes. th- they're, they're showcasing three unsigned bands you know you could have got fucking yeah. anyone. Go on live TV. (laughs) There were only three channels in 1976. I mean, I get it. If it was in August, then everybody would have been out because it would have been too hot to stay at home. Well, that is true. No air conditioning in those days. And this was, of course, the infamously hot summer of 1976. Yes. But it is quintessential Granada TV. It's even got Tony Wilson presenting (laughs) it. You know, it's this mixture of kind of like a bit edgy, But by the standards of the day, they were always pushing the envelope from the moment they started Granada. Kind of highfalutin. You know, they had big ideas. They um, were always at a company who were going to represent their region as well. So, you know, they're very northwestern. You've got Wilson at the microphone. And um, certainly the first of those bands sounds like it's local. Singer's got a bit of an accent, hasn't he? Gen- Gentleman. Gentlemen. But, um, Fucking. so you've got, you know, sits in this very specific place, and then you've got like three years down the line, and you've got B.A. Robertson basically being <laughs> told to fuck off <laughs> by, um, Annabella Lewin, yeah. which yeah, is one of the special. finest pieces of television
0: ever. Recorded. I think that's. Yeah. From, is that
2: from the Oxford Roadshow? My
0: first talkative guest is indeed a lady in every traditional sense of the word. All froth and flounce, acres of chiffon and lace. Each and every sequence sewn on by herself. Tireless night spent at home over the sewing box. Stocking seems absolutely straight and never ever a hair out of place. Talking to BA, the bad, bad prince of darkness. From Bow Wow, the good, good Annabella Lewin. Because a lot of
1: girls in the music business have a hard time, I reckon. Because a lot of uh, males find it easier to sort of take the mick out of them, which is really sad, because I, I think a lot of women have got a lot of talent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not given the chance. Carry on. Right, I just thought I'd say that, make that statement.
0: That's so, all? Yeah. And would you think that people, guys in the music business, don't take them seriously?
1: Uh, no, they don't. They don't, not at all.
0: Do you think that's how I introduce them? You meet a lot of hippies. Don't or don't? Like that.
1: You know, a lot of hippies who think they're really cool, like yourself again. Yeah. And... Um, I don't
0: know. do not what the audience reckon, but uh, I think it's a pretty shit show, basically. Yeah. What, do you want to go on? Yeah, I wouldn't mind like it. It's, <laughs> a, it's
1: a lot. Peter Cook had a number of roles in this programme. One of them was to be interviewed by Clive James about his forthcoming release, Derek and Clive Live. Yeah. Which had been banned by many retailers, and as such, they couldn't really talk about it at any great length.
2: Well, no, that's, that's the notable thing about that, about that Stimey, interview. Stymie that interview. Is that they're clearly here to talk about an album that they can't talk about. Yeah. In any detail.
1: And his other his other role is to front what can only be described as a bit. Yeah. Which is Riff of the Rum, which is a, a sort of goal of the month style vote for the best riff. Yeah. That's been ground out by some fucking ninny. In the whole two month long series of So
2: It Goes. Yeah. Now, which, we watched this together. Oh, fucking hate it. Hate! Your teeth were gnashing to such. Oh.
0: I've never seen
2: you quite like it. It was fantastic. I,
1: I absolutely detest and despise the whole idea of riffs and solos. It is the ultimate definition of portentousness. And. I des- detest in it. The I, can it. I can live with I can live
2: without them. Well, they're they're completely unnecessary. I think that most songs need a break from the singer.
1: You definitely, definitely need an instrumental break, but that does not necessarily yeah, mean that I everyone else that... has to just plod along while some fucking sub Johnny Thunders bell end. Shows you just what he's been practicing in his bedroom when he wasn't measuring his cock.
2: There were obviously bad guitar solos. Many of I don't ones. even I don't even like good guitar. No, solos. I know you don't. That's the thing, you see. You're <laughs> a bit of a. Pr- they weren't frick
1: about it. <laughs> There were there weren't very many good guitar solos here. No,
2: they, the ones that they showed were hilariously bad and hilarious. One of them funny. was pure Spinal Tap.
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely pure Nigel Tufnell.
0: And then, of course, there's riffy played by John Etheridge for Soft Machine. <laughs>
1: That was Peter Cook's role. Now, obviously, Peter Cook is, um, you know, Peter Cook. Mm. So you have got Clive James, Peter Cook, and Anthony H. Wilson.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing. It kind of makes me think. Couldn't you have done something a bit better than this?
1: Well, who's it? Who's this program for? It's uh, Peter Cook's phoning it in from
2: London. Make it for everybody. <laughs> you know if you've got three yeah. brilliant geniuses there then make it for everybody is see the thing is I'm 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 really really lukewarm on Derek and Clive as well I thought you would I be. fucking love Peter Cook and Dudley more, you know I I love not only but also I, I, I like the absurdity of it I love the way that they play with language and they play with scenarios and paint an absurdist picture in your mind Derek and Clive is just that, except with loads and loads and loads of swearing and half the imagination taken out.
1: Well, it's because they were really drunk. Yeah, that and thought. that's
2: the thing, you know. I mean, I, if if other people are into it, then cool, you do you. But I, I, I remember hearing it for the first time when I was about 18. And mm. I thought it was really, really, really funny, like the funniest thing I'd ever heard for about twenty minutes and then I was like, "Oh, actually, all that swearing and the horrible stuff, then there's a lot of it. that's all there is. It's the guitar solo of comedy it's it's really, really self indulgent definitely, and mm-hmm. um." Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't float my boat. I know that people listening to this podcast will think it's really really funny, and like I say, if you if you if if, if that's your thing, then that's your thing, and you do you. But I I just I just don't feel it. Yeah. I don't. You know, it's not like I'm a prude or anything. You want to hear the stuff that we say that doesn't get used in this podcast? Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I I, you, I I'm ain't... a
1: Derek and Clive. Uh, I'm a Derek and Clive man. Yeah, but right. I do admit that you know there is a limit. To the amount that you can listen to, yeah. It's, not because you'll end up feeling soiled, or because you'll just end up laughing yourself to death, but because you know you just go, yeah, all right, yeah, we get it, yeah, that, yeah, that's get it. it. You've done
2: S- the joke swearing, and I think the thing is that that is a twenty-first, very twenty-first century way of looking at it. No, I'm not. No, I'm not shocked by the swearing.
1: It's two drunk men. Being drunk and talking to each other. Yeah, it's a reminder of why it's a bad idea to be drunk all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I,
1: this is what you turn into. Yeah, I
2: mean, I, 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 mean, I guess in 1990 there was less swearing than there is now. Because nowadays, yeah. really, who gives a fuck about swearing? Cunts, pricks, and assholes.
1: <laughs> you see, this is actually this is this is the fundamentally the body of a Derek and Clive bit. So we should probably we should Yeah, probably but the
2: point that. is that we've got more imagination than they <laughs> had when they were recording Derek and Clive. That's not a reflection on our great comedic genius, because I can assure you, dear listener, we ain't got none of that. Anything that no. anything that anything that we say that you laugh at is purely incidental. Yeah. This is a this is a learning exercise.
1: That's why I've started to try and work farts into it.
2: Yeah, it's not really working, though, is it? Well, it's t- certainly not in this room.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you see, but but, but but one has to wonder: is, is why artists of the the caliber of Cogan Moore, yes, should resort to material which uh, basically could be done by um, uh, by me, by you, yes, yes, and I, I mean. I don't know if you saw the play the other night on television, No, no Man's Land by Harold Pinter. Uh, yes, yes, I did, yes, yes. Now, Pinter uses these words, these, I, I, I suppose, to the general public, shocking words. Yes, yes, But he uses them to effect. To, yes, to punctuate his... He his, punctuates his, 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 his dialogue. His drama, yes, yes. And when he uses the word arso, quite it means something. Exactly. And uh, prick. Yes. And cunt. Yes. Take on this sort of... Um, well, metaphysical, sort metaphysical of, uh, punctuation, which I, I, they I find almost delightful. especially with uh, Gilgood and um, yeah, right, Richardson, who so, are so absolutely terrific. Yes, yeah, I mean but, that um, in, in in Richardson's mouth. Is, it comes out as uh, um, a pure, gold. pure gold. But um, when Moore I mean, um, it's
2: not the same. Peter Cook was a genius, and I find it very difficult to watch or listen to a genius who has completely, utterly fucking gone to seed. Yeah, that's fair enough. It it almost feels a little bit... When I see shots of him, I feel this particularly... uh...
1: He is, at this point, I think, in his life, a very embittered and sad figure. I think he's on the point. Because Dudley Moore has become so successful. And he wants some. Yeah, but
2: he spunked it all away, didn't he? He pissed his talent away. (laughs)
1: Literal with literal torrent of piss.
2: Yeah, and and the thing is that he was still capable. He did that thing on Clive Anderson just before he died, didn't he, which was amazing. Yep. We did was it three different characters? Three, yeah, yeah three different Which is which is an extraordinary thing, but that's just like a misfire by that point, you know, that's 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 alright, well done mate, but you know, what you have been doing the last 20 years? Drinking. Yeah, basically drinking and hanging around the private aisle. And pornographers. And pornographers, yeah. And bookies. And bookies, yeah. Which
1: obviously wasn't as salubrious as uh, it
2: perhaps is nowadays. No, definitely not.
0: One of the most reviewed and most reviled rock phenomenon of recent weeks. We got a few votes. Sex Pistols. You can hear them warming up in the background even now.
1: Anyway, 4th of June 1976, what were you doing on the 4th of June
2: 1976? What was I doing? On the, what day of the week was it? Uh, I think it was a Saturday. If it was a Saturday and it's in the summer, we'd have gone over to see my nan. Because we were, we were living in Edmonton at the time, lower, okay. lower Edmonton.
1: And you were just a shade under... Four I'd have been coming
2: old. up to four years old. Well,
1: on the 4th of June 1976, the Sex Pistols played the Lesser Free Trade Hall, okay. Manchester. The very famous gig that variously depended on who you talked to. There were 14 or 30 or 50 people there. But
2: 70,000 people claimed to have. Yeah,
1: but as, the, as they say, every single one of them went on to do something, you know. Yeah. Simply read New Order, the Buzzcocks, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. Uh,
2: yeah, I've, I've I've never believed that story. I've always thought that story was a was a was a Wilson concoction. Tony Wilson was there. Yeah, exactly.
1: Having been sent a an LP by one Stephen Morrissey, mm. he sent him a letter containing a New York Dolls LP, requesting more of this sort of music. And so Wilson ends up watching the Sex Pistols play live yeah. at the Lesser Free Trade yeah. Hall in Manchester.
2: Okay, I mean I, I, I will accept I will accept that Wilson was there. Yep. I will accept that some of the people out of some of these bands were there. Bands don't all always socialise together, you know. What I won't accept is there were fourteen people in a room and every single one of them went on to be going. That's not that's that's Wilson self-aggrandising. That's not like him. <laughs> oh, not in the slightest. But I don't... But anyway... Uh, but the thing is, yeah. and there are. Were... there's nothing surviving of it. That is not true, a single so photograph. Not a no. single recording. Yeah, right, mate. I could almost believe that it didn't even happen.
1: Something has happened, but no one... Yeah. Remembers yeah, or this, has any evidence?
2: Well, yeah, yeah, this seismic event to which only people from bands were present at. <laughs> no one else in Manchester. I don't know how famous the Sex Pistols were in August seventy six. Uh, not, not very. No, they'd already done Anarchy in the UK, hadn't they? Had they already put that out once and it had just scraped into the bottom of the top four? Or? They'd
1: recorded bits and bobs and odds and sods, but basically it didn't really have a presence outside of the London set, you yeah. know, the West and South okay, London which is, set. Okay, which is
2: fine, but then they would have been written about somewhere, and that, you know, uh, yeah, we're yeah. not we're not talking about the... Seventeenth century. You don't have to to get to London from London to Manchester. You don't have to fucking go in a horse and carriage. You know, it doesn't no. take four days. You no, know. wasn't that. No. You know, we weren't that. We weren't that backwards.
1: But anyway, so th- this is how the Sex Pistols end up playing on Tony Wilson's television program. Mm. So it goes, and this is it's. Uh, you know, it's notable because it's their first appearance in mm. what turned out to be quite a short... They they were a bit like a comet, really, in that they went across the sky, they burnt very bright, and they crashed to Earth.
2: Well, they've got, what, four good songs? Well, I mean... Anarchy in the UK, God Save the Queen, Pretty Vacant, and maybe Holidays in the Sun. Bodies? Bodies. Five. And I'm being generous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being, no, that, I'm being generous there because I don't think that either Bodies or Holiday in the Sun are quite at the same level as those other three. So I'm count, putting those two together and saying they've got four good songs.
1: The beginning of this performance, which I believe was seven and a half minutes long, but they had to cut it down to a pre-agreed three minutes. Well, obviously. And Wilson got in a lot of trouble with Granada because Granada is a serious organisation doesn't take kindly to this sort of thing. It begins with perhaps the most famous single exhortation of the entire punk rock movement which is John Lydon screaming get off your ass it's in every single documentary that's ever been made about punk rock mm-hmm. and it comes from this program yeah the rest the rest of the performance is pretty much what you'd be expecting well yeah sentence. you know it's a
2: bit sh- John Lydon looks wired beyond belief yeah it's a bit it's a bit shambolic Lydon's Probably been because they've
1: the... been they've been drinking on on the speed, no doubt. Lydon's had an argument with the band Gentleman in yeah. the backstage area, I believe, um, which came from the lead singer saying that he liked Joni Mitchell, yeah, and John Lydon saying that he was a fucking arsehole.
2: You see, he's just this, is, and this is the thing: it? he's just a bit of a prick, really, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, well. No. <laughs> he, 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 he's so scattergun that every once in a while he speaks truth to power. But most of the time, he's just being a bit of a prick. I wasn't in the slightest bit surprised that you went all Brexit.
1: Well, you know, the most punk rock thing you can do is just to carry on doing what you want. Yeah. There's something there. There is an undeniable energy there. And I think even you agreed. Um, Having seen the other two acts... Yeah, in the context of that program, it was a very welcome palate cleanser. Yeah,
2: that was the exact phrase that I used, palate cleanser, and it was. You know, it's, um, it didn't alter my opinion on the sex pistols at all. By the way, but but it was no, but it was, it was, it was necessary. necessary. It was like a refreshing blast of cold air after. Being yeah. smothered in blankets that smelt of fucking Joss sticks for a couple yeah. of hours. Yeah, I, I get it. I know why it was necessary and I know why it was important.
1: And of course, they all smashed the, their stuff up at the end, which actually was quite passe at this point.
2: Well, yeah. My
1: my favourite part is Glenn Matlock, who occasionally even Glenn Matlock manages to look slightly intimidating in this performance. Mm. But he go he goes to kick over his mic stand. <laughs> But it doesn't go.
2: Yeah, I wonder why that was. I mean, I, you know, I've had... I've I had... think it was because he didn't kick it with any conviction no. whatsoever. No, look, I, what like, I've, I've, been, I've spent enough time around microphone stands... And if there's one thing I know about microphone stands, is that microphone stands are delicate little flowers, and it doesn't require hardly any effort whatsoever to push one over or are you, knock are one you over alleging by accident. Some sort of anti-Matlock conspiracy taking place, even then. Well, I wonder whether somebody might have taped the microphone stands to the floor before. Them. Or wedged it up, Sid Vicious's asshole. Yeah. Well, fortunately, the very worst thing about the Sex Pistols isn't even isn't even there. So you know. It's, that's true. Uh,
1: well, there you go. Well, I've got—I no, I mean, I've
2: got nothing good to say about about Sid Fisher's.
1: Have you got anything good to say about "So It Goes"? Um, A hodgepodge, mishmash, Burroughs-esque montage.
2: Yeah, of I mean, this is, this is the thing, isn't it? You know, this is this is why these programs keep failing, and Top of the Pops just keeps ploughing on. Yeah. Um, is because Top of the Pops understands that if you want to fit a lot of genres in, uh, if you want to actually appeal to a varied and diverse audience, you need to be like a machine gun. Bang, 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 yeah. bang, 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 bang for half just, an hour. Just That's p- play the music. Just play the music. Don't them, do yeah. anything else. Because this is a common thread across Liftoff, across um a across this. Was this... Kind of slowing down of the momentum of the program in order to to do a bit, whether yeah. it's like a little comedy bit or an educational bit or a bit where they oh. just go to a completely different type of music or the bit where the fellas fucking trying to teach you how to play the guitar and fucking yeah, shang-a-lo. or where there's
1: a well, there's a fake advert break with China a Chinese soap advert
2: yeah, so it just so it just kind of. Um, it, it, it doesn't build up ahead of steam. By the time, you know, when I was eight or nine years old, by the time it was getting to the top 10 countdown on Top of the Pops, I was beside myself with excitement. I didn't keep up with the charts in any other way, really. And so by about 1981 or 82 sort of time, the only way I found out what was in the charts or what was number one was by watching Top of the Pops every Thursday. And when, um, by the time the top 10 came along, I'd been kind of sort of whipped into this artificial whirl of excitement by what i'd already seen and was you know always kind of excited to see what was going to be number one i usually ended up liking it no matter what it was <laughs> but this i couldn't imagine myself watching this at say seven or eight years of age and coming away no. from it wanting to get into music
1: i think you'd come away from it and going well, what
2: the hell was that
1: there were three really really weird bands, like aggressively weird.
2: Yeah, that, that's so the first two there that's And the what, rest of it was just
1: middle-aged men talking way above your head.
2: Yeah, it's I, you know, there wouldn't be anything there for me. Like I say the Sex Pistols just don't quite hit the spot for me. They just don't, you know. I think that there are more interesting, more radical, more weird Uh, stranger-looking, stranger-sounding, and ultimately more transgressive than the Sex Pistols. Because actually, when you strip it away, the Sex Pistols are basically playing four cool kink songs from 1965. You know, that's that's what the music is. there's, There's zero innovation going on there because they ultimately weren't musicians. You know, they kicked out the one who was. Which, like I say, is fine. If that's what you want to do, then go for it. But it has a limited shelf life. And like I say, you know, they could only have come from the TV and the tabloid press. So to that extent, if they were trying to get rid of light entertainment, then well, congratulations, lads. You're the new light entertainment now. And lo and behold, in three years, punks were having their photos taken with people. Um with uh, tourists for money. And the whole thing was collapsing into just a bunch of stereotypes and actually the interest in music, the music that would go on to change everything, was not coming from punk directly. It was coming actually from a lot of the people who were spat out by punk. It was coming from Adam Ant. It was coming from Gary Newman. Um, It was coming from the people who were actually too weird or a bit too old. Or a bit too strange for punk, you know. Ian Dury, you know. Those, so those were the people, that, and of course, the other people who were changing it were were young Black Americans and um, weirdos with computers. That's where the Imagine actual change. That's where the actual change was going on. This shit, it's just pub rock, you know. Yeah, the the, the yeah. punk was. You know, what did it change, really? Well,
1: the the important thing of about the Sex Pistols, I think, is that it gave people the spur to do things themselves. Having seen the Sex Pistols, they went, well, I could do that.
2: Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> and if you think about it, okay, <laughs> you've gone on television and done something so basically that literally any person looking at it can go well i can do that
1: but that that's that's where the sex pistols genius lay if it lay
2: anywhere <laughs> it didn't lay anywhere you've was. got any
1: creamy centers
2: no i've been i've been fixated on audio this last couple of weeks oh okay
1: well that's not nearly creamy enough for my center
2: no it isn't no i've got some lovely new headphones and uh, In fact, they're really cheap, actually. But they are, Oh, my God. They, they sound fucking amazing.
1: Well, there you go. Ian's, Ian's now lost to the world of television. No,
2: not really, because, I mean, obviously I've still been watching TV. I've been watching quite a lot of uh, Boat Crash Investigation. The real name
1: programme that really exists.
2: It's called Deep Sea Disasters.
1: I call okay, it...
2: I call it boat crash. It is a better. I mean,
1: to be fair, your title is better. Yeah. But I just thought it's nice to be accurate in, when you're recommending a program yeah. to somebody.
2: Oh, there's some full episodes on YouTube, I think. So you know.
1: Yes, I'm going to avail myself of this. Yeah, option, you know. I think to watch some.
2: Yeah, and then you've got to just sing the boat crash investigation. That's that's the boat crash investigation <laughs> that's, song. That's... It's also the air crash investigation song with the word.
1: I can yeah Both, I can see obviously. it. multiple purpose. So, yeah. My creamy center this week is I watched a round with Peter Alice featuring right. a round of golf that he played with Terry Wogan. Okay. Uh it was very interesting. Obviously Terry Wogan was a very interesting man. A lot of uh, very realistic perspectives on celebrity and fame as they discussed. And also, we got to see footage of some of Terry Wogan's freakish pro-am golf putts, which, I mean, if you've never seen the, the particular one that I'm
2: talking I about... I know, I know that... Ter- you need every- to seek
1: it out. It's one of the greatest putts that's ever been made by anybody.
2: Yeah, everybody knows the Terry Wogan putt.
1: So that was, you know, that was a nice little find. I, I enjoy a bit of Peter Alice. I enjoy a bit of Terry Wogan. And it was it was a bit like, it was a early podcast in many ways. But instead of being just downloaded and in your
2: ears, they
1: were walking around a golf course mm. wearing jumpers.
2: Yeah, not really my thing particularly. I don't like golf either. <laughs> yeah, probably not for you then. Yeah, I'm tearing down those shibboleths this evening.
1: It's probably your most punk ever
2: yeah. moment. Golf. Mm. Tory sport.
1: Anyway, go on then. This it has been a long time coming, but you finally—it's now your turn. It is once again. It is to pick a program it, for next it week. It
2: is my turn. Yes. Um,
1: <laughs> I have absolutely no inkling at all of what this could possibly well, the be. The thing is
2: that I hadn't even thought about it until like you mentioned it yesterday. So I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Christ, I'm gonna have to find something and watch it. It's going to be really, really depressing. And then I thought to myself, oh, no, no, no. I know what we're doing. Shut up. We're doing Sports Night with Coleman from May 1969. The BBC's wow. find a commentator competition.
1: Oh, It's there. Okay. It's on
2: YouTube. It exists. I, I honestly didn't think it would. Saw it completely by chance. And... uh this is, this is our first venture into sport for quite a while. I think so, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, this is certainly going to be uh, one of our only purely sport-driven programmes. Yeah,
2: it's, it's a good one. It's, it's, it, is, it is a good one. So um, that's something to uh, stay tuned for uh, next week. Yes. Any other business? No. Good. <laughs> right. We're done. Finished. Kaput. Uh, we'll be back again next week with David Coleman it's always good to come back to David Coleman he's he's, you know and of course as I've said on this podcast before you can't libel the dead (laughs) we'll be back again next week thanks very much for listening and goodbye